0: said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. Tonight, the question uh, for those that have brought us report you will recall that it says what happened to right and wrong. In fact, what we, the main question in our minds is how can I find my moral north in a confused world that we are living today? Um, you only need to to listen to our news, you need to read the newspapers to see how confused we have never, as a people, and I I mean, uh, throughout the world, as a people, we have never been confused about what is right or wrong as the people that are living in our age. How can I know what is right or what is wrong? In fact, we, we are so tongue-tied now about what is right or what is wrong, we, we are getting to a place where you cannot even stand for that which you think is right. Um, an expression for what is right is slowly being drawn away from us to a point where we can't, we, we can't even say it. Um, so what happened to right and wrong? Um, if you, as I said, if you look at our, at our newspapers, they are talking about crime all over the place. The, our police are working overtime to try and curb crime that is on the high, um, people killing each other, um, so I ask the question, what happened to right and wrong? We've come to a time where it is okay to put before our eyes anything that we can put before our eyes. Uh, there was a time when there was something that was right, there was something that was wrong, but that is going away. In fact, the biggest question we want to look at this tonight is who should say this is what is right and this is what is wrong? If we have to depend on our society to determine that which is right, then I ask you a question tonight. What do you think about the society living at that time in Germany? Could we leave it to society? Or should we leave it to individuals? If that's the argument we are going to pose, then what do you say about an individual that made that decision on that woman? We therefore need some kind of guidance and we know it. We need some kind of guidance as to what is right and what is wrong. We need some kind of respect for authority or else we end up here. We need something that will value and safeguard human lives, human relationships, right? Something that is going to say, you have your right, you have right to your life. I have no right to take your life. We also need something that will value and protect natural resources, you remember when i say this i'm trying to to feel you are you with me to protect natural resources because from natural resources we we, we get some kind of comfort of life, we get some kind of quality of life without these natural resources. If we continue to plunder our natural resources, we get to a place where we are now talking about the depletion of the ozone layer, we're talking about, um, what do they call it, global warming and, and all these things that are happening around us. Um, I was watching a whole lot of garbage that is in the ocean. There must be something about that which is right or wrong that governs the way we use plastic waste. Where are you going with this, Pastor Tap? In fact, let me just pray at this moment in time. Father in heaven, I ask that you may lead us As we get into today's very intricate and um, sometimes a bit controversial, I ask that you give us boldness, that you allow us to be challenged, and you challenge us, Father. And as we search for the questions of the meaning of life, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In fact, with those values, if we have some kind of moral values, they therefore should hold us accountable as to say you are an offender. If you are an offender, how many of you like those letters that we receive from, um, what's that department with photos that we did not pause for, but they are about ourselves? You know what I'm talking about? We are being held accountable as to how we speed, so that we can save God's life. And this this moral code should should have should be fair and just to everyone. It should not be a respecter of persons. In fact, let me quickly summarize what I'm talking about: these values are about this about this thing, this moral code, it should respect, should have respect for authority, value for human life. Without respect for authority, without respect for authority, if I come to you right now and I say to you, I need you to park your cars facing the north. If I told you that, how much ever sense it makes, the second question question you're going to ask me is, what authority do I have? ask you that, for you to jump out from your seats and go out and park your cars facing north, you have to answer the question, what authority does this person have? It doesn't matter that um, there is a benefit from, from parking our cars that way. I could argue and make a convincing argument that park your cars facing north. If you violate, then what do I do? if I don't have the authority. So if there is someone who is going to give us some kind of a moral code, they should come with authority and we should respect that authority. That's why we have coppers. If a copper goes blue with that blue and red light, you you don't ask questions, you just do what? You just stop because they have authority. They are law enforcers. And this These moral codes, for example a traffic traffic laws they they are there because they value human lives and value natural resources standard to judge the same moral code is a standard to judge offenders to hold them accountable when they've when they've uh, violated the same, it should be fair and just. Can you imagine if they say everyone else, I, th- I wish they would do that. If everyone else drive at 70 kilometers per hour, except for pastors, pastors, you can go on at maybe 120. Oh I wish. Uh, so this law is not a respecter of persons. It is fair and what? And just. It should be objective. Let me explain. This is a little bit hard to explain. It should be objective. I have a few slides to explain that. When I say objective, I mean that it shouldn't come from me or you. Because if you allow me to make some laws, I'm going to make laws that are sort of slandered towards my, my bias. So they should this moral code should come from outside of ourselves how do we know where have we seen when we have subjective laws as opposed to objective laws when we are left with these laws that are subjective have we seen what happens to our society? We've seen it in, in Germany in those, in those years. We've seen it in Rwanda. We've seen it in those places where there are these um, subjective laws that favor a certain group of people and against a different group of people. That is the problem of having objective laws. In fact, from there, let me see whether we can get into... Um, The question is, if we are to have laws saying this is right and this is wrong, whose law is it? We only have three options. We only, remember, we are answering questions of meaning. Therefore, we need to go through a process of thinking. We have three options. Here are the three options. The First option is, I have to be my own law. Right? I can do what I want. Don't ask me questions. I'm my own person. And you could do the same. So that is one option. The second option is I don't have a say. You can can have a say on what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to conduct myself. Or a certain group of people can have a say. We don't have a say. So other people have a say as to how we should do it. Or how we should walk. Is this making sense? It's going to make sense in a moment. Or the last one is there has to be a force above human beings saying to them this is how you're supposed to behave. Let me say this again in a different way. The question is whose law? Remember this law has to be objective. The Greeks have a word word for the law. It's called nomos. So others, a group of people, a special class of people, Let's just say there's a special class of people. We have come from class systems, say, if you go to places like England where there were um, the nobles, there were the royal family, the nobles, the nobles, your, your gentlemen and ladies, and then there was the rest of us. The rest of us did not quite have a say, laws were made somewhere else, therefore laws are made by others. The Greek word is hetero, which means... Law is heteronormous. Remember, normous, law, hetero, others. What you have in the class system is that you have a dictatorship. You have no say about how we have to conduct ourselves. Somebody else sits in a chair and dictates to you how you are supposed to behave. How many of you like it this way? I hear people saying no. All right, let's move on. Self, the Greek word is auto. So let's put auto and nomos, which means I am at the center of how I behave. Let's put auto and normal. Autonomous. I'm my own law. I'm the one who is pregnant. If I want to take off this life, I can do it. I'm feeling you. Are we together? are you I, I did say I was going to say some challenging things, even speaking into some of the things that are happening in our day. If we leave ourselves and say I'm at the center of how I should behave, then we then have remember. Laws should safeguard human life. Then we can have someone sitting in judgment and say, this life that is in me, I can terminate it anytime I want because I am my own law. It's autonomous. It's autonomous. My friends, this is where we have fallen into a big trap especially in the time that we are living in. You can't tell me who I should get married to, whether male or female. It's autonomous. These are the options we have. No other options. I said there are only three options. We either choose a dictatorship or we choose autonomous law it, it has far-reaching effects. I'm my own person. We can't pick and choose. I can drive if I'm feeling high, if I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like driving 120. It doesn't matter. There's, there are children that are crossing the road. It's 9 or 8 o'clock in the morning and children are going to school. That's how I'm feeling. It's far-reaching. We can't pick and choose. These are options that we have. Here's the third option. God is called Theos, let's put it together with Nomos, Theonomos. This law is coming outside of human human beings, it's objective. It's not about, well, it's for human beings, safeguarding human human being lives, safeguarding natural resources, safeguarding relationships. But it's coming outside of our its objectives is fair and it's just. It's for everyone. There is no bias either on self or on others. These are the three options that we have. We have to pick and choose. We have to pick and choose. I want to suggest to you that this. Is dangerous. It puts a lot of law, a lot of authority in the hands of few people, and we have seen it happening. History, what do they say Pastor Andrew about history? The only lesson we've learned from history is that we don't learn from history. History has taught us that if you put too much power in, in, uh, uh, here's another thought coming to my mind. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's option number one. Option number two, do whatever you want. Chaos. I'd like to suggest to you that this makes sense. And let me make an argument for this one. I suggest that it is an objective law. I have seven points and then we go home. Seven points. Point number one. The law of God found in the Bible, normally known by everyone as the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we think of the Ten Commandments as being restrictive. But let me suggest to you that these Ten Commandments, they are objective, they safeguard human life, they safeguard resources, they safeguard human relationships, they are fair, and they are just. I beg you to journey with me this evening and let's make an argument for that. The Ten Commandments are not devised by human beings, therefore they are objective. Here it is, in Exodus chapter 31 and the verse is 18. The Bible says, um, Exodus chapter 31, the verse is 18. If you are following on your Bibles, Exodus chapter 31 is on page On page. on page 83. Page 83. Verse 18, verse 1-8. Um, For those that do not have their Bibles, I've got it on the screen. It says this. You are there. Chapter 31, and the verse is 18, 1-8. When the Lord finished speaking... With Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets, inscribed the commandments written by Moses. I'm teasing you. I'm just trying to check whether you are, you are awake with me. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? So Moses, those are not Moses' law. These are Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. So God is looking at human beings. Human beings have been at each other's thrones, at throats. rather. Human beings have been enslaving each other. And God says, this is not good. Let me give, just like a loving parent, making sure uh, that there is, there is safety at home. Here is my number one rule. Don't play with knives in this. We don't play around. We don't run around with knives. Well, uh, the father is saying, or the mother is saying these rules. It's not because he hurts the children or she hurts the children. It is because she is trying to safeguard. In fact, the little girl in this home would rather, um, if she had a way, if she, if she had autonomous laws, she was going to run around because to her the knife is a toy to play around with. What she doesn't realize. Is that if she goes around playing with a knife, she either will hurt herself or hurt others. The parent may not explain a lot of things. He, she, he, or she is just going to say, "No playing, knives are out of bounds in this house. We don't. You are not allowed to touch knives." Full stop. Only if only this child could look behind. beyond the words, and see the heart of the mother who is speaking or the heart of the father who is speaking. They're speaking from a place of love. But I want you to realize that this law is objective. It's not made by the child. All the children in this home, they are all told the same law. And Deuteronomy chapter ten and the verses two. As I quickly move on, it says, "And I will write on the tab- on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which he broke." This is because um, as as Moses was coming down, he got angry and he broke to cut to, to cut the long story short, and he broke this, the the commandments that God had given, him, the tablets with the with the commandments that God had given him. And God said, "Go up the mountain and I'll give you." another law, the same one like the one I gave you. That's why the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deut two, Nomos, law, Deuteronomy, the second law. Making sense? God is giving him the same law for the second time. And God says, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke and you shall put them in the ark. God is so particular about these laws. God did not change them. He says, I'm going to write the same words. It's God who gave these laws. Second, these commandments, they come with, they come with the very authority. Hey, not come very with. Come with the very authority of the lawgiver. That's a typo right there. Here's what he says. He says in Exodus chapter 20, in the preamble of, the, of this constitution, of this law, he says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God bef- but me. Now listen. This God who's speaking, he says, I, I have authority over you to give you this law. Not just like Pastor Tappy was going to come and say, hey, Park your cars facing north. I don't have authority to do that. God is saying I have authority over you and this is where I get the authority over you. Number one, I am the one who created you. Number two, I rescued you. The word is redeem. I rescued you. You belong to me twice. When... When I created you, it's because I loved you. I have the right to speak into your life, number one. Number two, somebody else came and enslaved you. Then I followed you in your enslavement and I brought you out of your slavery. Therefore, because I love you so much, I have the authority to speak into your lives. Thank you. Now, now you know the meaning of the hand. Of the <laughs> That was point number two. Point number three. Uh, it is because of that, that God is saying, because I created you, you, you are mine. I created you. Number two, I redeemed you. I rescued you. You must not have any other gods because I'm the God who rescues you. I'm the God who loves you. There's a purpose in your life. There's a purpose for which I created you. What does he say in Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven? I know the thoughts I have for you. Just give me a chance to speak. Don't listen to any other thing. Focus here. Focus here. That's what God is saying. Don't have any other gods. You know? My friends, I'm tempted to tell you a story right now. Um, I was raised in the villages of Africa. You didn't have to guess that, did you? As I was growing up, my father told me a story because by the time I was growing up, that practice had had been taken away by the new laws. Uh, I, I say the new European laws that had come in that we, you know. These laws that we shouldn't kill animals and stuff like that, Uh, traditionally we could. And let me tell you why. In my village our economy is based on agriculture. We don't have industries, we don't have anything else. Round about now um, and in a few weeks time the first rains come and everyone is busy you know, plowing in the fields. Around about December, January, we have plants in the fields, like some of the plants that we grow are like groundnuts. Kids, peanuts do not come out of woolies. They are grown. So we grow groundnuts that which then become peanuts. Right? But we our village is between two, two mountains. We're in a valley. We have a problem with monkeys. They come and they pluck out the peanuts. And the monkey is funny. He will pluck out, you know, the peanuts. If you pl- pluck out one plant, it has got several ground that's underneath there. It will just pick maybe two and leave the rest and go. And they are not yet ripe. They are, not, they are still waiting for the latter rain, the, the last rains, and for them to, to, be, to be fully ripe. So he's pulling out while before they are fully ripe. And you can't harvest that. And if you're not careful, he can pull out the whole field. And this is where the school fees for the children was going to come from. The the whole, uh, yes, food is coming from the same place. So we guard those jealously. So what do do they used to do in the olden days? In the olden days, they used to set a trap. The trap was a gourd, G-O-U-R-D, made out of a pod, P-O-D, a pod that is pumpkin-like, Um, or or butternut-like. You make a small hole. You let it dry. Make a small hole on top. Remove everything from outside so it's hollow. Then you take real peanuts. You put peanuts inside. You tie that thing to the ground. You pin it to the ground such that it's immovable. So the monkey will come, see peanuts inside. He will put his hand through the, the, the hole Grab the peanuts. When he grabs the peanuts, now he's got a, he's made a fist. The hole is too small; he cannot pull out. Now there is a very easy way out. Let go of the peanuts. But he's so messed up upstairs, he can't let go. Now my dad used to teach me the songs they used to sing because. Monkeys make different kinds of sounds in different situations. When he's caught, when he knows that this is a dangerous situation, he has a different kind of cry that he makes. And the boys in the village, they know that he's caught. So they take their spears and whatever else weapons they have, they run to wherever he is to finish him off. And he can hear them because they call each other. They whistle in the village. The boys are calling each other and he can hear them. That danger is coming, but he cannot let go. You know what, my friends? God is saying, thou shalt not have another gods, but there are some glimmering gold gods with a small letter G that we are, we are holding on to in this world and they're destroying us. And God is saying, can't you just come? Let go and come to me. Thou shalt not have any other gods. Look to me and I'll give you life. But there are the things of this world that we are holding on to, we can't let go, just like the monkey in my village. What shall it profit a monkey to gain the whole peanuts but lose, is that in the Bible? But lose his life. Shall live have another gods. Point number three. These commandments, what is the question tonight? How can I find my moral north? How do I know? My friends, there's no other thing in this world. Not autonomous law, not heteronomous law, but it is theonomous that can show us and guide us clearly. Without a shadow of doubt, beyond reasonable doubt, that this is what is right and this is what is wrong. The Ten Commandments point to wrong. In fact, they point to sin tonight. Listen, Romans chapter 7, the verse is 7. It says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. So what is, the possible, what is the reason for the law? The law points us to what is right and what is wrong. In fact, my friends, it is to our favor that we need the law of God because it protects your property. It protects my property. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's property. That's why. Why? 1 John chapter 3 and the verses 4 says, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law because sin is the violation, to put it in, in, in vernacular, it is the violation of that moral code that God has given us. Point number four. The Ten Commandments provide for relationships, for quality time with family, Am I the only one who lives in Sydney? Um, Let me share with you, for those of you that don't live in Sydney, let me tell you the story of Sydney, especially for young couples. Nowadays, Sydney, in fact, has been dubbed one of the most expensive cities in the world. Very expensive to live in. So what do you need to do to be, to afford living in Sydney? Especially for younger couples. Praise God for those that have just, the generation that has just gone past. But the generation that is there now with, with younger children, if we are going to send our kids to safer schools, if we are going to uh, manage to buy a small little um, things to live in, both the mother and the father will leave the home front and they will both go to work. There are a few exceptions, but most will have to go to work. And sometimes, as the father comes in, the mother is what? Now, that messes up the children because when God created the family, he meant for the family to be together. So a child is hardwired to connect with their, with their, with their mother. From, from Especially from birth to two years, that little boy, that little girl, was hardwired to, to, to connect with the first family first. I wish I could get into what happens in the mind. I don't have time. I'm on the law. But because we don't have time, those children sometimes are challenged. God says have to put something in the law that will safeguard these families that at least they have some time in the week to spend time together. In fact, let me suggest to you that God did it right in the first week. Do you know that when the sun, when the sun set on the sixth day, you you understand I need to explain myself first The day starts at sunset. So when the sun set on the sixth day, Adam was not there. But when it set, as it began the seventh day, Adam was there. The first beautiful sunset ever seen by Adam and Eve together as a family was the sunset of the seventh day of the week. And they stood there together. And God says, I want you to start by resting together. I think God is romantic. I'm just looking at couples. I think God has a romantic sense. The first beautiful morning, purple morning that they ever saw together, Adam and Eve, was the seventh day of the week. Because God wanted, and God is saying, this first day, not the first day of the week, the first full day of your existence, always remember it. Let me say that again. This first full day of your existence, because on the sixth day when they were created, yes, they existed in the sixth day, but it it was not the full day. The first full day they ever existed was the seventh day of the week. And God says, always remember this day to stop from all your works so that you can can be together. You, your wife, your son, your daughter, and even the servants that are working in your home. Stop, just be together. You are not human doings. Stop doing, you are human beings. Just be in my presence. You know what God was doing? Safeguarding relationships. Otherwise, human beings would work seven days nonstop and families would disintegrate. That's why God says, Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do work, you nor your son, nor your daughter. Can you see what God is saying here? He's saying, stop working. This is not some some arduous Jewish law that God is just putting upon you upon the Jews. This is a law for everyone. In fact, it is in Mark chapter 2, verse 28, where Jesus says, the Sabbath was made. Oh, the translation is a, little bit, is a little bit amiss there where it says, the Sabbath was made for men. In fact, the, the word made there means created. The Sabbath was created for what? Human beings. It was created for human beings so that we can stop the madness of this world. I don't know about you. Am I the only one who goes crazy in the week? Redress. I have to go to pick the kids out of school. And, and we have a handover, takeover thing with the wife. as she comes in. Oh, I, that one didn't eat properly. And then there's a handover. And before we know it, thank God around Friday, I'm just about to lose it. And God says, stop. Spend time together. It's not some arduous Jewish law. It's an objective law of a loving God wanting to safeguard families. Fifth point, the commandments value natural resources without which, my friends, we cannot see beyond 2100. The way we are going with Depleting our natural resources, the way we are going if we go like this. Um, In February, I I had to go to my village. I went to Africa, for some of you who remember. And then I had to drive to pick something in my rural home. As I went there, it had been a while since I'd been there, I found as I was growing up, there were literal forests that we as boys were afraid to go to. As I drove past those forests, They, it's just, there's nothing. People have cut down all the trees. It's slowly growing into deserts. The way we are plundering natural resources, my friends, we are in danger. Let me give you an example of what we are trying to do, what this world is trying to do. And I I call it the Band-Aid solution. Here in Australia, we started something that is called the Earth Hour. How many of you know it? This is when, and the whole world, especially the first world countries, are following in the footsteps of of Australia. And I I, want to say, good on you, Australia, for starting this kind of a thing. Because it it, it works to a certain, I did say it's a band-aid. Band-aid works, but to a certain extent at least we thought of something. So this is where, I think it's around the 13th of March or something, Uh, don't take my word for it, but one of the days around uh, March every year, we stop using energy for one hour. People are not forced to do it, so sometimes you might go past it without realizing that it's happening, but it's posted all over Facebook, and uh, for one hour people stop using energy. Switch off everything. Now they say the energy that is saved, the energy that is saved, compounded together, it is enough to run a small African country for three months. Did you get that? Where do we get our energy from? Do you know that as we get our energy, we talk about non-renewable resources and what, what, what. As we get our energy, there is some resources that that we are depleting. So imagine how much resources are saved in that one hour that we stop using energy. Let me ask you a question. How much energy... How much resources would be saved? Or how much energy? Let me start with energy. How much energy would be saved if we stopped using energy for 24 hours in one week, 52 times a year? Imagine how much energy is saved in one hour of the first world countries when they stop using energy. How much energy is saved? Now imagine the whole world is stopping to save, to, 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 to use energy for 24 hours every week. And that is 52 times a year. Can you imagine? Some of the forests would still be there with us. Some of the coal that is being, and oil that people are fighting for, and stuff like that. This is why. When God says, stop, says, back whatever you have to back. Cook whatever you have to cook. Minimize your use of energy in this hour. God meant to save God' natural resources. It makes sense to me. This is a fair and just law. Sixth point, these commandments, they preserve relationships. Thou shalt not kill. The reason for not killing is every human being is created in God's image. Every human being is created in human being in, in God's image. Thou shalt not kill. Hey, no child is a mistake. It's possible that the child may have come as a mistake. The act might have been a mistake, but the child is not a mistake. All Human beings are created and the intrinsic value of a human being is because of that very fact that we are created in the image of God and God attaches value to that and God says, thou shalt not kill. Period. You don't have the law in your own hands to make that decision. Thou shalt not steal. Preserve relationships, preserve property. Thou shalt not lie thou shalt not covet. It is because God was preserving relationships. Seventh point, the Ten Commandments are the standard of judgment. Listen to this. As we... The Bible says in James chapter 2 and the verses 10, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's, of God's laws let me, let me explain the Ten Commandments are not ten laws I'm checking the Ten Commandments are not ten laws the Ten Commandments are the law of God you break one you have broken the law of God so the Bible says for the person who keeps all of the laws, all of the commandments, so to speak, except one, is guilt, Is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Let me move on. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery, can you see that is taken from the Ten Commandments, also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So how many of the commandments should we keep? All of them because they are the standard by which we know that which is right and that which is wrong and then he moves on to say so whatever you say or whatever you do remember that you will be judged by the law so what is the standard of judgment according to it's right there on your screens is the law because remember The law is not only, is not only just, it is not only fair, it is not only, uh, it does not only safeguard property and relationships, but it holds us accountable. How are you going to know that I've done something which is wrong? You're going to know that I've done, because the law says thou shalt not steal, I've stolen. Therefore, I'm judged by that law. So the law is the standard of judgment. No, 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 no. I did not say we are saved by keeping the law. We are not saved by keeping the law. We are judged by keeping the law, however. So the objective law is the instrument of justice because his judgments, this God, our God, his judgments are honest and fair. Revelation chapter 19 and the verses 2. God's judgments are honest and fair because he is using that same standard that he has given to human beings that he has written on the, on, on, on the tablet of stone. Because God himself, according to Psalm chapter 7, the verse is 11, God is a righteous what? He's a righteous judge and his law is just. But the law cannot do something. Endouge me for a few moments, and then I'll be done. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. What it means, my friends, is that the law does not save. Here's what it simply means. Can you think of a man who has killed 50 people, a serial killer, goes around killing 50 people, then he says, now I'm going to stop, I'm going to, be, I'm going to behave well, I'm going to, be a, I'm going to keep the law, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be nice. Will this make the 50 people to come back to life? So how much ever we can keep the law, it does not atone for that which we have done, which is wrong. So keeping the law does not save us, does not make us right with God. I'll make this really clear. And this is now speaking into the question that was asked tonight. Doing that which is right does not not make us right with God for the past sins that we have committed. So what is the purpose of the law? For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, Romans 3.20, and I don't know how I have... Well, then, I'm suggest, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful because it does not serve us? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. It would never, it would have known, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. So... The purpose of the law is only to point to sin but never as a means of salvation. The law will show me where I've gone wrong but it is not going to make me right. I need a different agent and how if you really, that's what we are going to spend a lot of time tomorrow morning. I need a different agent to cleanse me and I can tell you just, even now, I'm, I'm tempted to tell you now because I, it, it's the most exciting news. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. In fact, there is something God has done already to make us right with him. He has taken the punishment for our sins. And when he has taken the punishment for our sins, he doesn't want to stop there. So that he can show us his love. And by that love, he can draw us to himself. Not by the threat that we are going to go to hellfire. No, 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 no. By the fact that he wants us back home. Don't worry about what you have done. He said, don't worry about the law that you have broken. You can't can't start keeping the law so that I can forget about that. In fact... I'm going to forget about your sins. I'm going to separate you from your sins. Firstly, I have died for your sins in the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not be judged or will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So what do I need to do to be saved? Just believe that what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary That was mine. I should have gone there to Calvary and Christ has taken it. But it doesn't stop there. Then God says, now that you have come, now we have a relationship. I am going to create in you to do that which is good. I will remove the test but for that which is wrong. Just have a relationship with me. I will walk slowly with you and I will strengthen your feet and I will create enmity between you and sin. My friends, that's the best news I've ever had. No other God has a better deal than that. The point, of sin, the point of the law is only to point to sin, but never as a means of salvation. Another purpose of the law. The law was never intended for people who do what is right, it is for people who are lawless and rebellious. Who needs the law? People who have sinned. Why do they need it? So that it can point them to that which is sin. Then they can feel their need of the Savior. Who are those people that are lawless and rebellious? The Bible goes on to say, who are godly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile that which is holy, who kill their father, mother, and even children. Even babies in the mother's wombs and they commit other murders. Can you hear what he's saying here? And the law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. The law is for them. The law is not there it's just there to show them that they have sinned, but they don't need the law to be saved. They need to come to Jesus. A friend of mine after this Bible study said, but pastor, we are not in the old covenant. We are now in the new covenant. Should we keep on keeping the law even in the new covenant? Let me explain this and then we go home. Here it is. What is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Here is the Bible. If the first covenant had been faultless there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it what does the Bible say the first covenant was what faulty now to see where the first covenant had to be changed you need to understand where it was faulty where was it faulty the Bible tells us where was the fault Hebrew that was Hebrew 8 7 now I'm going on to Hebrew 8 8. The very next verse. But when God found fault with the people, where was the fault? Not the law. The law was never faulty. It was so what needs to be fixed? Not the law. In fact, my friends, what needs to be nailed to the cross? Not the law. That text is, that Bible verse is not there. It is the human beings that are faulty that have to be nailed to the cross. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and the verses 20, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. For I have been what? Crucified with Christ. Because it is us who are faulty. When Christ was being nailed to the cross, he was nailing our old selves. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here's the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 33. What kind of a, what kind of, um, a covenant would you make? He says, I will put my law in their minds. oh God is now saying, in the old covenant, I wrote the law on a tablet of stone. Now, here was the problem. The law said... On a tablet of stone, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the problem is, in the mind of the man, he wanted to commit adultery, and then Jesus comes and he says, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already done it in your mind. Then God says, so the problem of man is the man's mind. Hello, Christina. Man's mind. The frontal lobe of man is the problem. Then God says, now I'm going to be interested in that same mind. I'm going to write my law, now no more on a tablet of stone. I'm going to write the same Ten Commandments. Here's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was faulty because man's mind was a problem. In the New Covenant, God brings the same Ten Commandments and with his finger of the Holy Spirit, he writes his Ten Commandments. The same ones. That's the difference. God will write his law in in the minds and write in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. They will walk in my statutes. They will walk in my law because the law is now in them. My friends, the fault was the human heart. Heart of stone. God wants to give us a heart of of flesh this is just a metaphor the heart of stone is a heart that cannot keep his law but the heart of flesh it is him enabling us to do that which the Lord demands but him making us do it so God wants to operate us and remove the heart of stone I'm finished and remove the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh and God is not going to to break into our lives he is going to knock in the doors of our hearts This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton H-O-X-T-O-N Park SDA Church. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.